They shall not grow old as we that are left grow old. Age shall not weary them, nor the years condemn. At the going down of the sun and in the morning we shall remember them. I was reading a little bit about Lieutenant Colonel John McRae and his poem in Flanders Fields remains I suppose one of the most memorable poems that came out of the first war the war to end all wars it's a lasting legacy of the terrible battle of Ypres or Wipers as the soldiers called it in the spring of 1915 and I was reading a bit about how the poem was written. He'd been a doctor for years and he'd served in the South African War and he was a Canadian. And he remarked how it was impossible at Ypres to get used to the suffering and the screams and the blood. He was a surgeon and he spent 17 consecutive days treating injured men, Canadians, British, Indians, French and Germans on the Ypres front. And he, he commented, I wish I could embody on paper some of the varied sensations of that 17 days, 17 days of Hades. At the end of the first day, if anyone had told us we had to spend 17 more days there, we would have folded our hands and said it could not have been done. One death particularly affected him apparently. A young friend of his and a former student, Lieutenant Alexis Helmer of Ottawa, had been killed by a shell burst on the 2nd of May in 1915. Lieutenant Helmer was buried later that day in a little cemetery outside of where McRae had his dressing station. And McRae had actually performed the funeral ceremony because there was no chaplain uh, available there. The next day, he was sitting in the back of an ambulance, having a little rest near his dressing station and near a canal, just a few hundred yards north of the town of Ypres. And he was very distressed and anguished. And he took up a pad and he started writing. He used to write a little bit of poetry. And he had written some medical books as well. In the nearby cemetery, McRae could see the grave of his friend. And he could see the wild poppies growing up between the graves. And he started scribbling. He spent about 20 minutes apparently writing this little poem. A young soldier watched him write it. A, a man called Cyril Allenson, a 22-year-old sergeant major. It's amazing how young some of these men were. 22-year-old sergeant major. Last night, the, one of the youngest girls as well ever to win a military course 18 years of age a, a young girl and I, I noticed that the, there was some ceremony that they had 
Oh yes, a roll of honour was read out at some ceremony in Baghdad or Afghanistan today and the youngest soldier in the squad read out the list and he was just turned 18 when he was sent out to uh, Iraq. 18 year olds. This young girl last night was 18 and she'd won the military cross. But this sergeant major came in and he, as he approached McRae stood up and then sat down again and continued on scribbling. He was delivering the post, Alison. And he recorded, very tired but calm as he wrote. He looked around from time to time, his eyes straying out to Helmer's grave. When McRae finished writing the poem about five minutes later, he took his mail from Alison and without a word handed his pad with the poem on it to the young non-commissioned officer. Alison was moved by what he read and he he said the poem was exactly the scene in front of them. He used the word blow in the line about the poppies because there was an easterly wind just blowing the poppies gently in the breeze. It never occurred to him, he said, that the poem would ever be published. Most unlikely sitting there in a battlefield with a poem on a bit of paper. In fact, McRae threw the poem away a few days later because he wasn't happy with it. And a fellow officer picked it up. He sent it to the Spectator in London and they refused it. But the Punch magazine published it on the 8th of December, 1915. And we all know the poem so well. In Flanders fields the poppies blow between the crosses, row on row that mark our place and in the sky the larks still bravely singing fly scarce heard amid the guns below we are the dead short days ago we lived felt dawn saw sunset glow loved and were loved and now we lie in Flanders fields take up our quarrel with the foe to you from failing hands we throw the torch. Be yours to hold it high. If ye break faith with us who die, we shall not sleep, though poppies grow in Flanders fields. How sad, all that waste of young lives, millions killed in that first war, and in all those wars ever since. Let's just pray. O oh God our Father, as we remember all those who suffer as a result of war, the civilians, the children, the bereaved, the mothers and fathers, the brothers and sisters, the wives and the husbands, Oh God, we pray that they may reach out to you. Reach out to our Saviour. The one who said, Come unto me all ye who weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn of me, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. We thank you that they can find rest and peace 
in our Savior. That they may know that peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith the Lord. And so we remember all those who have sad memories today. May they know the Prince of Peace in their lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We'll turn now to Deuteronomy chapter 11. And we read just from verses 2 to 8, I think. And know ye this day, for I speak not with your children, which have not known, and which have not seen, the chastisement of the Lord your God, his greatness, his mighty hand, and his outstretched arm, and his miracles, and his acts, which he did in the midst of Egypt, unto Pharaoh the king of Egypt, and unto his land, and what he did unto the army of Egypt, unto their horses, and to their chariots, how he made the water of the Red Sea to overflow them as they pursued after you, and how the Lord hath destroyed them unto this day. And what he did unto you in the wilderness until he came into this place. And what he did unto Dathan and Abram, the sons of Eliab, the son of Reuben. How the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up, and their households, and their tents, and all the substance that was in their possession in the midst of all Israel. But your eyes have seen all the great acts of the Lord which he did. Therefore shall ye keep all the commandments which I command you this day, that ye may be strong, and go in and possess the land, whither ye go to possess it. Just those few verses. Moses, ever willing that the children of Israel should keep God's laws and God's commandments, tries another way to convince them of the necessity of following the commands of the law. You have experienced the chastisements of the Lord on yourselves, your enemies and your friends. And so he commences verse 8 with that word, therefore. Therefore. And it's so relevant here. He says, he goes in those eight verses prior to that, he gives them other reasons why they should therefore obey the commands of the Lord. All these verses give some valid reasons why that therefore is so relevant. You've seen his greatness. You've seen God's greatness. You've seen his mighty hand and his outstretched arm and his miracles and his acts which he did therefore keep his commandments now let's look at some of those things which he records in those verses he sets out some of these mighty acts now we are so familiar with the story from being children of the plagues and all that happened to Moses and Aaron when they went before Pharaoh in Egypt. And that's what he's reminding them here. What he did to the land, what he did to the king, and so on. 
what he did to what God did to Egypt what he did in the midst of Egypt to Pharaoh the king of Egypt and to all his land and you know what he did to the army of Egypt to their horses and to their chariots how he made the water of the Red Sea to overflow them as they pursued after you and the Lord has destroyed them unto this day they were a defeated nation unto this day you know we study these Old Testament passages so that we may learn from them something that will enable us to live lives pleasing to God they're not just stories they are stories they're, they're, they're real events but we're not telling them just as stories we're telling them so that we may learn to live and be pleasing to God in our lives and to follow his ways and to avoid the mistakes and disasters which befell his people in times past and which are ever with us today not the same things as relation to Pharaoh and, and the king of Egypt but to beware of the types of things that can affect you and me today we've always said that Egypt is a type of the world system in which we live we cannot avoid living in this world within its domain but we must learn how to live in it and not to be part of it and we know that that is the difficulty we're in the world but we, we're, we're not part of the world the world really hates us if we're living close to God and we can see that happening more and more with, with uh, science lessons and all that kind of thing we're, we're becoming isolated more and more in our beliefs when you see ecumenism and all that coming in we see that those who want to stick to the word of God it's becoming narrower the path day by day you know our Lord we've said this before prayed for us who are not of this world and he prayed to his father and he said these are in the world and I come to you holy father keep them in your name those whom you have given me so that they may be one as we are while I was with them in the world I kept them in your name the world has hated them because they are not of the world even as I am not of the world I do not pray for you to take them out of the world but for you to keep them from the evil they are not of the world even as I am not of the world sanctify them through your truth keep them holy through the truth of your word your word he says is truth as you have sent me into the world even so I have sent them into the world and I sanctify myself for their sakes so that they also may be sanctified in the truth isn't that wonderful Jesus is praying for you and for me that we may be kept in the truth as we live in the world but he keeps on saying they're not part of the world this world system is doomed it is condemned we should have as much connection with this world as a dead man has when somebody dies they haven't any connection with the world obviously 
They're not paying tax. They're not paying council tax. They're not interested in the world. And throughout scripture we are told that we, are, we should be dead to this world. There's much interest in this world and its system of government and all the rest of it as a dead man. The king of Egypt and his system was defeated and condemned. Satan and his world system has been condemned by Jesus Christ on the cross. Unto this day. As it says there about Egypt. Destroy them unto this day. Soon Satan and his world system will be finally defeated. So we should have no feelings for it. Or seek to encourage it by supporting it and propping it up. Because it's going to fall in any case. So there's no point in us trying to prop it up. Yet today we see many Christians spending much time and large sums of money seeking to obtain justice and succor from a system that is under God's judgment. We see them appealing to worldly courts and governments for justice sitting in a parliament which passes laws contrary to God's laws and all under the judgment of God. Can you ever imagine, we've said this before, can you ever imagine Moses sitting and being part of the court of Pharaoh and in the knowledge that it was under the imminent and lowering judgment of God? And that's putting it in perspective. There was no way Moses was going to get involved in the politics of Egypt when he knew that Pharaoh's army and Pharaoh himself, they were going to be defeated. They were under God's judgment. You see, Lot, we, talked, we spoke about Lot a few weeks ago. Lot ended up in the gate of Sodom. He was respected. But he had to leave Sodom and he left everything behind. Sodom was judged. He shouldn't have been involved in the workings of Sodom. But he had to get out. And had to leave everything behind. He just got out with his life. And let us learn something from the situation that Moses is describing here. Egypt had overthrown and rejected the God of Israel. God's judgment fell upon Egypt. Our world has rejected the Prince of Peace. John 3.19 And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Egypt rejected the word of God through Moses and Aaron. This world has rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. There's not the slightest change since the days of Egypt. And it remains true unto this day. The world has rejected the God of Israel and his son Jesus Christ. You know the very presence of the Holy Spirit in this world demonstrates that this world is in sin. Because the function of the Holy Spirit, one of the things he does is to convict men of sin. And of judgment. Because it has rejected the righteous one. And this world's ruler is judged. Condemned. 
This is the true situation in the Egypt world of today. The world which it represents today. The world of human resource. The world of human making. The world of human wisdom. This is a world of human respectability and knowledge. Many Christians and others who would judge the Sodom world with all its sin. Even the Babylonian world with its wars. But they become ensnared in the Egypt world. The world of merchandise and commerce and worldly knowledge. How many worship at the temple of this world's wisdom? Not realizing that the Bible says the wisdom of this world will come to naught. Instead of being at a hundred, it's going to be brought down to naught. The wisdom of this world, nor the princes of this world, they come to nothing. The princes of this world, those great intellectual teachers of this world who give no place to the one who is the wisdom and the power of God. We live in a world, sadly, where its wisdom never considers that Christ was God's wisdom. That Christ was God's power for creation and for establishing God's laws by which and through whom all things hang together. All things subsist in him. They've ignored that. As Pharaoh dismissed Moses and Aaron and the word of God, this world has done exactly the same. And much less does it give any credence to Christ as God's wisdom and power for redemption. Oh, you speak to somebody about being saved and forgiveness of sins and they poo-hoo it. They have dismissed it. Or the fact that God eventually will bring all things together in Jesus Christ. They don't believe it. This world's wisdom, as Paul so rightly says, will be brought to naught. To nothing. Of no effect whatsoever. Man, with all his wisdom, just like Pharaoh's army, comes to naught. Oh, they were one of the most powerful armies of its time. And yet, they were defeated by the wheels coming off the chariots and the water overflowing. God is still on the throne. The death of Christ has proved that apart from him and apart from the death of Christ, there is no hope for man. There was no hope for those Egyptians pursuing the Israelites because they were under God's judgment. There is no hope for man in this world unless they turn to the wisdom and power of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that was just the, on, on the first point that Moses made about Egypt. And these people had seen all that that had happened because they had rejected God. God had judged Egypt and you saw that, he says. Therefore, he says, you should be warned and you should learn the lesson of Egypt and Pharaoh and 
follow the commandments of God. We should look at what is happening in this world and what Christ has said that we are not of this world and we should be forming no part of the parliament and governments and world system. Don't be ensnared by it. It's so easy to be dragged into it. As it says in Romans, be not conformed to this world. One of the modern translations says, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Don't let it. Be not conformed, but be transformed by the indwelling Holy Spirit. Now, we turn to verse 6. And what he did, what God did unto Dathan and Abram, the sons of Eliab, the son of Reuben. Now, if we want to know more about this particular story, we have to go back to Numbers. Numbers chapter 16. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and chapter 16. We, we were familiar with this story, I'm sure, over the years. You know, I was thinking about, as we study the scriptures, I was thinking about it last night, as we look at the trials and the trails of Israel in the wilderness, there were two important things they had to learn. And there are two important things that we have to learn as we study God's word. We learn what man is. And we have to learn what God is. Two lessons we should seek to remember and think about as we continue our studies. Not only as we look at Deuteronomy, because we'll be looking at it for another few weeks yet. But as we study any scripture, think about what man is and what God is. We see as we look through the wanderings of the children of Israel, we see man in all his frailty and his fickleness. We see man in all his sinfulness and his rebellion against God. We see man in his self-exaltation and in so many other ways. We see man in his frailty. And then we look at God and we see God in all his glory. We see God in all his love and his graciousness. We see him in all his holiness and righteousness. We see God in his judgment. And we should always bear that there are other ways we can see God as we go through the scriptures. But we can't keep in mind the sinfulness and frailty of man and the holiness and righteousness of God. It took a long time. In fact, it never really did come to grips with those things, the children of Israel. But we should remember the sinfulness of our nature and the holiness of God. And so we have this rebellion. There's a man called Korah. I haven't time to read the whole passage because it would take just too long. Korah was a Levite and Dathan and Abram were just sons of Reuben. And they began a rebellion against Moses and Aaron. And they rose up, it says, before Moses in Numbers 16 I'm reading from 
before Moses together with some of the others, 250 others, leaders and princes of the congregation. And they assembled themselves against Moses and Aaron. And they started a rebellion against them. You've gone far enough for all the congregation are holy, every one of them. And the Lord is in their midst. So why do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? Why are you the, 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 the bosses? Why is it you always make the decisions? We're all, we're all sons of God. We're all children of Israel. Surely we should have a say in this. And you know when Moses heard this. He fell on his face. He, he prayed to God. Isn't that amazing? He was so anguished about it that the first thing he did was to pray. You know it's a good thing. He didn't answer straight away. He, he had a word of prayer with God. What am I going to do here Lord? And then he spoke to Korah and his company and he said if you think this way tell you what we do. You bring to here tomorrow before the Lord get your censers, these little fires that they put fire in little bronze dishes and put incense on it and bring them to the Lord and we'll do the same and then we'll make a decision whoever God accepts then we'll know who's right and who's wrong we, we know who has been accepted by God and who hasn't and then he said to Korah in verse 8 you're a son of Levi you've been given the job of looking after the house of God and now he says do you want to take on somebody else's work do you want to be a priest as well God has given you a task to do why do you want to do something else and then he went to the two chaps Dathan and Abram and he, cut, he summoned them to come to him. But they wouldn't come. Oh we're not going to go. We will not come up to see you. You brought us out of Egypt. You promised us a land flowing with milk and honey. You're setting yourself up. And nothing's happened. We're not going to take any notice of you. And they wouldn't come up to discuss the matter. And Moses prayed. Moses was angry, not because of himself, but because they had rejected God's word. And Moses was always angry with people when they tried to negate the word of God. Moses became very angry and said to the Lord, do not regard their offerings. I have not even taken a single dog. I have taken nothing from these fellows. And you know, he prayed for them before God. And all the company gathered together the next day. The men with their censers, all ready to present them before God. And Aaron shall also bring his. And they were all gathered there. It was a very solemn occasion. This was a serious revolt against Moses and Aaron and against their authority from God and the Lord spoke to Moses all this gathering you can imagine there was very tense all these men with their censers 250 of them 
all assuming that God was going to make a decision in their favor. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron. Separate, separate yourselves. I'm going to destroy everybody. Oh, no. Moses said, you can't do that. Moses and Aaron fell on their faces and said, Oh God, God of the spirits of all flesh, when one man sins, will you be angry with the entire congregation? And then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the rest of the congregation to separate themselves from Korah and his friends and his families and all his relations and from anybody associated with this rebellion. Dathan and Abiram. And you know, Dathan and Abram hadn't even come out of their tents. They were standing in the doorway of their tents, just looking to see what was going to happen. They were so dogmatic about rejecting Aaron and Moses. So the congregation got back from around the dwellings of Korah, Dathan and Abram. And Dathan and Abram came out and stood at the doorway of their tents, along with their wives and their sons and their little ones. Moses said, By this shall you know that the Lord has sent me to do all these deeds, for this is not my doing. And he said, If these men, all in front of you today, just die a natural death eventually, then I have not been called by God. And as he finished speaking, the ground under them split open and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up and their households and all the men who belonged to Korah with their possessions. So they and all that belonged to them went down alive to Sheol and the earth closed over them and they perished in the midst of the assembly and the rest of the 250 men they also were destroyed we haven't time to go, in, go into it too much but they rebelled against Moses and Aaron they imagined that Moses took the civil government into his hands and Aaron the priesthood they had just formed a little alliance and they said I'll be the the one to in charge of the civil end of it and you can be in charge of the priestly end of it and we form a little group and uh, we'll rule these people you know if you go back to the story of Moses he didn't even want to go into Egypt to try and get the people out God had to persuade him and then God said you know you'd have to say oh he said I can't speak I'm no good at speaking get Aaron it's God's idea but if you go to Hebrews way over to Hebrews you can see who actually appointed these two men. Hebrews 3 and verse 2. Moses, it says, was faithful in all his house. Jesus, it says, was faithful to him that appointed him. Let's read back to verse 1. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Jesus Christ who was faithful to him that appointed him. Jesus was faithful to God who had sent him on his mission down to this earth. He said also Moses 
was faithful in his house. As Jesus Christ was appointed by God his Father to carry out his will down on earth, so was Moses appointed by God. And then if you go over to chapter 5 and verse 4, talking about the high priest, it says, No man taketh this honour unto himself. No one is appointed a high priest by himself. But he is called of God as was Aaron. As was Aaron. Who appointed Moses? God. Who appointed Aaron? God. They were both appointed by God to do this task. So these men were rebelling not against Moses and Aaron. They were rebelling against the will of God. Something which was very serious. God showed clearly and very dramatically his chosen men. And you know, imagine saying to Moses, whom God said was the meekest man in all the earth, you've taken too much on yourself. Oh, we know that he he prayed for his people. There was one instance when Joshua was with Moses. Joshua was so faithful to Moses. And he felt for Moses in all these situations. Joshua felt, obviously, a great love for Moses and a desire to please him. And it was reported that some men were prophesying within the camp. And Joshua was jealous that somebody was trying to usurp and take over Moses' position. That's what he thought. And he said to Moses, there's some men there that are prophesying. And Moses said, are you jealous for my sake? Oh, don't be jealous for my sake. Would God that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. Such a nice attitude. Oh, we'd say, oh, we'll have to do something about those fellows. Bring them here. We'll flog them or we'll put them to death or something. No, no, he says, oh, would to God there were more people like that. He was a lovely man. One who could speak like this was unlikely to take too much upon himself. You see, we have to remember that it's important that it is God who calls out any man or any person to minister on his behalf. Never in Scripture is it man who makes appointments in the Church of God. We have that incident in Acts 13 and verse 2. The, the apostles were gathered together and they were wondering what, who would be appointed for a certain task. They didn't appoint them. It says they ministered to the Lord and they fasted and they prayed and the Holy Ghost said separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. They were appointed by the Holy Ghost. When God calls, he qualifies the man for a particular job. When he assigns a man in any position, he fits that man for his service. Because God makes the appointments. And if that's so in the church of Jesus Christ, then let us be careful for us to deny that divine gift and appointment of anybody. 
spiritual safety and prosperity of any local church depend on the rights and authority of Christ as Lord being practically acknowledged by and amongst his people. I will say that again. Spiritual safety and prosperity of a local church depend on the rights and authority of Christ as Lord being practically acknowledged by and amongst his people. If we believe that those in authority are appointed by God, then we must accept that they are under the authority of Jesus Christ. It says in John 3:27, a man can receive nothing unless it be given him from heaven. It's the Lord Jesus Christ and his spirit who will appoint those who will be leaders. The church is a body and we must remember that all do not have the same office. You see this man Korah, he wanted to take over the priesthood. He was a Levite. All Levites were not necessarily priests but all priests were Levites. But he he was a Levite who was in charge of the tabernacle and he wanted to do something a bit more. But we read in 1 Corinthians 12:14, the church is a body and we must remember that all do not have the same office. And God will place those members in the positions where he desires and where he divinely wishes. And this is what it says. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole body were hearing, where is the smelling? It's all so obvious, isn't it? But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body, as it hath pleased him. How are they placed? They're placed in the body by God. God has set them where he requires them to be. The body doesn't decide where the ears are going or where the head is going okay let's go on to something else verse 7 but your eyes have seen all the great acts of the Lord which he did their eyes had been witnesses of all these things that we've been talking about Pharaoh's defeat the defeat of Korah and his cohorts in rebellion against God you've seen all those things therefore keep all the commandments of the Lord therefore shall ye keep all the commandments which I command you this day why? that ye may be strong that ye may be strong you know there's great strength 
to be obtained through the total obedience to the authority of the word of God. It makes us strong. We're then able to withstand all the attacks of Satan. You know, we need to be able to stand against the storms which Satan will blow at us. And we can through the word of God. Sometimes I think our attitude to scripture is a bit like the Woolworth's sweet counter. Pick and mix. We decide to just take things and leave things. We won't put any peppermints. We'll have chocolates. and I like Smarties and Rosemary likes uh, some other thing. We pick and mix. But it's not like that. We have no authority to divide the doctrines of Scripture in a pick-and-mix selection. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Not just the ones with the bits which please the majority, or even the bits that please a minority, or those portions which cause least division, or those which appeal to the sense of wisdom of man. Well, we could go on splitting off little bits here and there till we end up with a scripture which is devoid of real meat. To refrain from keeping the doctrines of scripture, all scripture, for any reason, however plausible, is blatant open rebellion against God. As Korah did. And look what happened to him. Jesus said, if ye love me, keep my commandments. Here's what Jesus said before he left this earth. He says, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things, not just some things, all things whatsoever I have commanded.